Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Brianna Borton. Brianna is a wellness entrepreneur and peace engineer who inspires people to live extraordinary, healthy lives and create what they want. She and her husband, Dr. Peter Borton, are the creators of the Rituals of Living online community and Dragon Tree, a holistic wellness brand that includes three spas, herbal and wellness products, a magazine, and this online community. Brianna has certifications in massage therapy and as a clinical Ayurvedic specialist. And her husband, Peter, has a doctorate in traditional Chinese medicine and has written hundreds of articles spanning topics such as stress, emotional wellness, nutrition, fitness, and our connection with nature. The two of them have just come out with a new book called The Well Life, How to Use Structure, Sweetness, and Space to Create Balance, Happiness, and Peace. Welcome, Brianna. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure because I really enjoyed your book. You know, and its tagline, its tagline is such an accurate description of the content how to use structure, sweetness, and space to create balance, happiness, and peace. You two seem so young. I was so impressed that you have such a well of wisdom between you. How did you come up with these three principles? You know, I think we both have histories and backgrounds in Eastern medicine that are really connected to elemental systems. And so as we were being asked by clients and friends, like, how do you do it? How do you, like, make your life seem so happy and you're balanced, you're running businesses and you have kids, so you have a lot going on, and yet, you know, you have a calm life and you feel really happy to be around. And as people were asking us, we started to look at our own lives and what we had helped clients do with their lives and started to dissect it to see, okay, well, what is that if we really wanted to teach it to people? And I think because we come from elemental backgrounds, an elemental system made the most sense to us as we were looking at what it really was. And so um, as we were exploring, the elements of structure, sweetness, and space seemed to really um, completely fulfill what we were looking for in order to be able to teach people in a language that they could remember and use in all the areas of their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start uh, with an example that you give of the need for both exercise and stillness. How do they fit into space along with sweetness and structure? Yeah, I mean, we talk in the beginning of the book about a bunch of things that we need to do in order for optimal mind and body health, and two of those things are exercise and the other and stillness. And a lot of the time we, you know, a lot of time there's when we are sick, the imbalance is um, an imbalance between movement and stillness. And in the beginning, <laughs> and in the beginning when this is when people are looking at this, you know, like thousands of years ago, it was actually usually an excess of movement in our bodies and not enough stillness. And so that it was where the imbalance came from. But now we're seeing almost the opposite, where we're seeing 
a lack of movement in our bodies and too much stillness just because we don't have to, you know, hunt and gather and we're not walking long distances anymore. We're able to do almost everything from our computer, which, you know, for better or worse is just kind of how a lot of us live our lives. And so now there is a lot more stillness and not enough movement. Um, But at the same time, we're seeing people with much more movement in their minds and not enough stillness. And so a long time ago, it used to be the opposite. You know, there wasn't as much stillness. There was also more stillness and not enough necessarily mind movement. And so we really encourage people to find the balance between these two things and really be creating a structure for themselves to make sure that they're doing that because it's so easy to forget to move our bodies these days, which is a crazy thing that we can do, but we definitely can, you know, miss the opportunity to, you know, dance or walk or whatever feels good to you so that you're moving your body. So using our daily structures to make sure that we're scheduling that Mm -hmm. in and then also scheduling in the time for stillness. And this is really mental stillness that we're talking about now because that's what most of us are lacking. So using our structure to make sure that we are scheduling in that stillness. And in that stillness is really where the element of space comes in. So space really comes from meditation, from time in prayer or time in nature, time where we're really just not doing much. And that's where space can really come in. And sweetness is hopefully going to be in both of those things, both in the movement and exercise and also in the stillness. And the more that we can infuse those things with sweetness, the more likely that we'll do them, the more likely they'll become a ritual for us and be in our structure with ease. You gave the example of, say, dancing. Um, so that would be both movement which uh, or, or exercise, and it would be fun. So you're saying to find the sweet aspect of whatever it is that you want to bring into your life um, so yeah, that I mean, you will do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think so many of us, we try to like go to the gym, even though we hate it, we're just kind of like punishing our bodies. We're like, you're just going to go, you're going to do it, you know? And uh, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of sweetness there unless it's something you actually enjoy. So I really encourage people to find movement that they really enjoy because for sure your body will enjoy something, whether it's bike riding or dancing or karate, you know, whatever it is. And then it becomes something that easily is sustainable throughout your life because doing something that you really dislike just to be in shape or just to get movement in is actually really hard to sustain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that that's what they say about a lot of diets as well. Unless you actually find the diet that makes you feel good, you're just going to go back to the old way of eating. Yeah. So you 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 talk about um sweetness um, the notion of meditation is very central to so many wellness books and self-help books and so on um how do you find the the sweet spot for that when your life is in total chaos and the last thing you want to do is sit quietly for an hour or even 10 minutes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, meditation is one of those things that isn't an instant gratification thing, you know, especially like mm-hmm. the first, I don't know, 10, 20 times we do it. It's not that enjoyable, you know? Your mind is going, you're like, why am I sitting here? There's other things I could be doing. You're like making your grocery list or whatever. And um, it doesn't even really feel like it makes that much of a difference in your life, usually like the first couple times after you've done it. So it's more like you have to have like a little bit of a leap of faith there to think that like, well, my goodness, so many people that meditate regularly tell me to do it or looking at people that meditate regularly and seeing how their lives are functioning to think like, okay, maybe that does have some value. And it like, I actually think it's like a little bit of a push in the beginning. Um, one, a couple of ways to make it sweeter, I think for people are to do guided meditations. So it's such a really wonderful introduction so that you're not trying to sit in silent meditation and feeling like you're failing or not doing it right, which, by the way, we all feel. So it's totally normal. But a guided meditation is nice because it takes you on a journey so it can help you kind of guide your mind without having to, you know, worry so much about just like not having any thoughts. So I really Mm -hmm. encourage people to start with a guided meditation because I feel like it's a really sweet way of doing it. Find somebody who you enjoy listening to their voice and that it feels really um, comforting to do because you'll start to feel see the benefits in your life, I think, generally after doing it about 10 times. And Mm -hmm. then you'll start to want to do it because you'll see the changes and you'll start to enjoy it and then it builds into itself the sweetness and then it's like uh you know it's kind of got a cycle going there for you that you'll want to do it um but until then trying to use things like guided meditations um really setting up a beautiful altar for yourself something that you can do to make it feel sweet for yourself will help you make it happen in your life and I know that so many people feel like, you know, my life is so crazy. I definitely don't have time to meditate. Um, but there's this old saying that I really love that says, if you don't have time to meditate for one hour a day, meditate for two. And I love that idea because it's really getting to the point of the fact that meditating actually creates more time in our lives in so many ways that you won't know until you do it. But when you sit down and you meditate regularly, so much space opens up in our life. You stop being so reactionary. You start to really get control of your own emotions and your own time. You start to really see what's important. And so when people feel like they have a hard time prioritizing or, you know, getting everything done or a hard time with time management, I feel like meditation actually does solve all of those things, but you have to do it first before you're going to get the benefits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the leap of faith. Yeah. Well, that is certainly uh, good advice. And you also have some meditations on your website that people can use, can't they? What is your What is the website? Yeah, our Go website on. is the drag thedragontree.com, and we definitely have a bunch of um, meditations on there that people can do. Great. You were giving some really interesting perspectives on the notion of space and how we can find that uh, sense of space from within our meditations. How do we create this sense of space in our lives? 
Well, I think, like you were just saying, one of the best ways is to deliberately practice space via meditation so that you that, I think, actually brings space the most into the rest of your life because you start to have time in between, you know, having a thought and maybe acting on that thought. So instead of reacting, you have time to choose your actions. And that kind of space is really valuable. You also start to have space in between in between your actions because you slow down. And so another way of like deliberately creating space besides meditating is to actually just schedule your day knowing that you're going to need a little bit of time between things. Something I see a lot of people doing is they schedule their days so tightly that there's absolutely no wiggle room. And then, you know what, like life happens, like things happen. Um, Things Mm -hmm, come up, mm -hmm. things change, people need something from you, you know, your dog throws up on your floor, whatever. Like these things happen to all of us. And so if we don't have any space in our schedules, then that can feel like it completely cracks us. You know, it, everything feels like we're melting because we don't have any built-in time to deal with the things of life. But when we build in time, even, you know, five minutes in between things, then when stuff happens, you have this buffer time, which really makes all of life flow so much more. And without that space in between things, there isn't really any opportunity for flow to happen. And when we don't have any flow in our lives, we just end up being getting tighter and tighter and tighter and more tightly wound and feeling more anxious and more stressed. And so we have the opportunity to make a choice around that, to just put in some buffer for ourselves so that we're able to create that flow. Um, another way that we can create space is, you know, when you're working on a project, which most of us have had this experience of working on something, maybe you're trying to come up with a title for something or the right words for a paper or, you know, an idea for a project and you're, you know, maybe sitting with a team or sitting by yourself and you're like pushing hard to try to figure out the answer and nothing great is coming. But then you take a step back, maybe you all go to lunch or maybe you take a walk around the block and all of a sudden ideas start flowing. And that's because we have to create some space in our consciousness in order for unconsciousness to come in. And that's where creativity comes from, where innovation comes from, where inspiration comes from. And so we can't really connect to those things, create uh, creativity and um, and all of the ways in which we want to be inspired and innovate without having the space for them to come. And so deliberately trying to schedule in space, especially when you're going to be working on a project, is really useful. So, for instance, I'm working, we're working on another book now, and I schedule in time, like, so I'm working on it, and then I have space to, you know, go on a walk or dance to a song or just kind of zone out for a while so that I know that I'm able to invite in something beyond what my conscious mind is capable of. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the difference between being reactive and proactive. You you feel that you're in control rather than being at the mercy of all the demands on your time. That's really mm-hmm. beautiful. So 
What are some ways to create the space for building up our energy? Well, I mean, building up energy is such an important thing, and I feel like it's such a huge topic. I mean, we're a culture that is completely um, addicted to caffeine and other stimulants just to, like, get us going through our days that, um, you know, it's a it's a huge, huge industry because I think so many of us feel depleted in our energy. And so really starting to notice And that means like slowing down enough to pay attention to your own body and your own energy system to see where you're at in the day. Because so much of the time we, if we slowed down enough, we could really feel when our energy was running low and do something to nourish that energy, whether that would be to go to sleep, you know, maybe it's in the evening and you just need to simply go to sleep earlier or eat a nourishing meal or just take a rest. And sometimes actually moving our bodies really helps with sluggish energy as well. But mm-hmm. without bulldozing through our energy crisis that we have, you know, either <laughs> by like drinking caffeine or just like pushing through or eating chocolate, whatever it is that we do to kind of move through that, if instead we paid attention and really nourished that, we would find ourselves having much more sustainable energy. Because when we bulldoze through it or drink caffeine, we're actually taking that energy from our deeper well of energy that isn't really meant to be spent, especially on things like, you know, a a longer paper or, you know, staying out late with your friends. Like, that's not really what that essence of energy that we are born with is for. It's for actually sustaining our whole long life. And so if we instead every day, instead of depleting ourselves, if we went to sleep with a little bit of that energy left, then we would fill our buckets while we slept. And in the morning, we would have that whole bucket of energy to spend again throughout the day without really dipping into what we call like the well of energy. Because the well is meant for sustaining our lives, not for our daily consumption. Instead, our bucket that we fill at night is really what we use for daily consumption. And and that bucket can be filled from sleep, which I just mentioned, but it can also be filled from meditation, um, eating nourishing meals, and doing really sweet things for ourselves. You know, maybe that's taking a bath or getting a massage. All those kinds of things really fills our bucket of energy. You know, we talk about perspective and when particularly women I think sorry guys um, have this <laughs> sense that they really are the servants of their family of their work of their community and making that space to fill their buckets seems to be very last on the list and we see adrenal burnout and and all these autoimmune diseases and everything so um, how how can we get this into perspective and put ourselves into the equation um, when we have so many demands on us? Yeah, I mean, I, I see this so much. And, you know, I, I talk so much about people taking care of themselves and self-care. And, you know, I think you're right. Women have a tendency to be kind of like martyrs in this way, to like just want to give and give and give because it's our nature to want to care, you know, for other people, um, for businesses, for our children. Um, and that's really 
lovely to want to do so, but I think that having the perspective of sustainability is really useful because if we think about really wanting to care, maybe maybe it's for, I'm just going to use children as an example because it's an easy one to use as an example. So if you really want to care for your children and be the best mom and really take care of them, which I think most moms really do, I know I do, then you have to think of it as a long game not a short game. This isn't just today. You can't just be about caring for your children in this moment. You have to think about the fact that you've got their whole lifetime that you want to be there for them. And that means that you have to take care of the person that will provide that care. And that person is you. So that actually brings you to the very top of the list for them, actually. It's actually like for Mm -hmm. them that you take care of yourself. Because if you burn out and you're incapable of taking care of them because you're sick, because you have adrenal fatigue, because you can't get out of bed, or because you resent them, then you're not going to be of any use to them or yourself. And so instead, if we can think about it, like, how can I make this sustainable? How can I make my giving and loving a sustainable thing? We always come back to then caring for ourselves. And I think that that has been what I have seen be the most useful for people to really tap into because a lot of times they feel like it's selfish or, you know, not worth the time. But if they really look into that part of sustainability, they start to see why it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like putting your oxygen mask on first so that you can help other people. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go on to the notion of adding um, sweetness. Uh, no, no, actually, what about your take on the role of our thoughts and the law of attraction? Yeah, I mean, wow, there's so much to say about that because, <laughs> you know, I feel like there's so much that's already been said about our thoughts and what they attract. And, you know, I think so much of that is really true, um, especially considering, you know, if you just have happier thoughts, you're just happier, which I feel like is the most useful way of thinking about it because, <laughs> you know, if you simply want to be happier, which is what most people want, then we, if you have happy thoughts and cultivate happy thoughts, you just will be happier. It's actually just so simple. It's almost ridiculous to think about. Um, but then there, I think that the the downside is that there has been so much around, you know, if your thoughts create your reality, then, you know, if you worry about things, then those things will happen. And I you know, it's just not true, uh, which is lucky <laughs> because otherwise, you know, my children would have been kidnapped, like almost all kids in the world would be dying of some horrible <laughs> disease because we worry about these things. And luckily, worrying just isn't it isn't the same. And I remember when I first got introduced to this idea, people would say, oh, worrying is praying for what you don't want. And that is like such a mess to with my head and it messed with so many people's heads I think that you know to think like oh my gosh if I worry then I'm praying for what I don't want and that generally doesn't stop us from worrying <laughs> that usually makes us worry more yeah. <laughs> and like oh no now I'm going to worry about it now it's definitely going to happen so um, <laughs> I 
I just think it's like a, it's just, let's get like a reality check to be like, okay, is that actually true? I've worried about a ton of things and have they happened? No, they haven't happened. Luckily, I think that the universe actually has some intelligence to it where it knows the difference between you like intending for a good thing to happen and you worrying about a bad thing to happen. And so I think uh-huh. that we can really count on our thoughts to help us in a positive way when we use them that way. <laughs> well, thank heavens, because otherwise we're all doomed. <laughs> we're speaking to Brianna Borton about her book, The Well Life. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free, ascendinghearts.com. Grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and tune in for inspired conversations with publisher Linda Joy on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Linda creates sacred space for leading female luminaries, empowering authors, heart-centered female entrepreneurs, coaches, and healers. A soulful venue where guests openly share the fears and obstacles they've overcome, wisdom and lessons learned, and the personal journey that led them to the transformational work they do in the world. Inspired conversations to empower you on your path to authentic, soulful living. Sparky the Fire Dog here. Make sure your family has a fire escape plan, and they practice it twice a year. One important thing to practice is get low and go. If you see or smell smoke, it's important to get low and go. Protect your family from fire. For more information, visit sparky.org. We want to keep you, your family, and your community safer from fire. This message brought to you by the National Fire Protection Association and your local fire department. Visit sparky.org. We're back with my guest, Brianna Borton. Brianna, we were talking about the law of attraction, but you have an interesting section in the book on relinquishing our resistance to failure. Can you describe that? Because I found it quite fascinating. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's so much resistance in in uh, most people and in our culture against failure. It's like we are all about the positive thinking and we're all about getting your goals and going out there and doing it. But there's actually a lot of resistance in us to failing. And when we have resistance to almost anything, like the more we resist, the more it becomes a prevalent idea in our minds. And it often stops us from moving forward and doing the things we would need to do to actually be successful, like actually trying to do the thing or moving forward. And so we have some 
we have a lot of different exercises in the book around releasing your resistance um, to, you know, either releasing your resistance to a goal because sometimes we actually have resistance to getting our goals, which is an odd thing, but it's definitely true because, you know, where we are at, we are definitely getting something out of. So releasing our resistance to getting the goal is sometimes really useful. Um, and then releasing mm-hmm. our resistance to failure because, to be able to say want something, like say you wanted to, you know, write a best-selling book, then if you have such attachment to it being that, then that means there's no freedom for it to be anything other than that. And when we don't have any space or openness for either one to be okay, then we get really, really clenching on the fact that it has to go a certain way. And the tighter we try to hold on to a certain result, the more likely it is that we're going to strangulate that result. Instead of holding it in an open hand and say, this would be my preference. I would really like this. And you can hold it in a really positive light. But having some perspective that if it doesn't happen, that it's actually also going to be okay, that it isn't your, your happiness isn't dependent on that, that your happiness is coming from inside of you. And so the more you can be okay with failing, and in fact, even practice failing, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, how much can we fail? And if I'm not failing, why, then I feel like I'm failing. Like, I should be failing at something because if I'm not, then I'm not trying anything new. And because we mm-hmm. should fail. Mm-hmm. That's really normal. Mm-hmm. And um, I was having this conversation with a group of teenagers the other day, um, doing like, we were just doing like a group therapy session with them. And um, we were talking about, about, you know, what stops them from going for big dreams. And they all said, I don't want to fail. I don't want my parents to be disappointed. I don't want my friends to see me fail. I just don't want to fail. Like, I won't try it unless I know I can do it because I don't want to fail. And I said, well, look around at each other. Like, what would you think about your friend if they failed? And they were like, oh, well, I'd be proud of them for trying. And I was like, so that's actually what's going on? So why don't you be proud of yourself for trying and actually encourage yourself to fail and encourage yourself to push yourself so close to the edge that you are failing at things all the time because it's how we learn and grow. And the more we can be open to failure, the more we'll try big things and really live a life that is full of adventure and fun and really big goals happening. That is such amazing advice, and I'm so delighted to hear that you're speaking with young people. Uh, One of the parts in the book, the stories in the book that kind of encouraged me was when you described setting up your first spa and and you had maxed out your credit cards and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So how did you manage to hold it all together and still enjoy life? Yeah, man, that was, um, I still, looking back on that, I was just talking about this last night with a girlfriend of mine because we were just kind of getting to know each other, and I was like, that was the hardest time of my life, and I am so glad that we had resources that really helped us, and the resources that really helped us the most were things like community, making sure that we had friends, that we could count on friends that we could, you know, go out to dinner with and talk to, and then having a resource of being really connected still to my spiritual practice so that I was able to, you know, get some perspective about everything 
really being okay, like it really all together was going to be okay, even if we lost everything, even if we lost our business and our house. And this is really what was happening is that that was like all very uh, tentative at the moment. And having a spiritual practice where I felt like connected to something so much larger than myself, and I knew that wasn't going to go away, that really helped sustain me so much. And, you know, then just having other really great practices in my life to have good energy and mental focus, exercising regularly, being out in nature regularly, um, and eating really healthy food. And I think a lot of times when things go bad, <laughs> we tend to spiral a reach bit. for the donut you know? right <laughs> yeah we're like get the you know get the donut stop exercising space out and watch tv because these feel, things feel comforting but they're not actually mm-hmm. helping us they're actually making things worse and they can make it harder and harder and so instead of spiraling if we can really create good like steps for ourselves that we're just committed to doing every day you know like I'm committed to meditating every day whether or not things are good or bad so that I know that I have that for myself it's kind of like a little gift that you give yourself <laughs> so that when things mm-hmm. are hard which I think in everyone's life there there are times that are really challenging and if we don't have some really nice resources that we've created for ourselves we can it can just be a spiral of despair and so making sure that we have those in place and really um, nourish them for ourselves is very useful. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean by perspective tuning? Yeah, I, definitely that's part of it. I think that um, perspective tuning is really about getting ourselves from where we are to just a little bit better, say. So if you're like in a funk, say you're feeling depressed, um, a lot of times you can read, you know, like positivity quotes or, you know, see people that are like a nine in happiness. And you're like, well, my one feels so far away from that nine, I'm like not even going to try, right? Like that's a ridiculous thing to even ask of myself. And and it is a ridiculous thing to ask of yourself. It's a ridiculous thing for anyone to ask of themselves. And so we really talk about how can you move from a one to even like a one and a half? Like what could you do today that would move you from a one to a one and a half? Maybe that would mean if you're like not getting out of bed, maybe that would mean maybe going downstairs and walking around the block once and just getting back into bed. Maybe that would be the thing that would move you from a one to a one and a half. And then you just focus on that one to one and a half or one to two for just a couple days even. And and then when you feel like, oh, I'm at a solid two now. Like, I'm not at a nine, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to be at a two. And I achieved that, and now I'm at a two. And then you can say, I wonder, maybe it would be interesting to go to a three. And then you do the things you can do to get yourself to a three. And over time, you'll end up at, you know, a seven, eight, nine, but it's not going to be overnight, but that's not, it would have never been overnight anyway. And it's the gradual seeing yourself making progress and just doing the things just to get yourself to the next step. And this Mm -hmm. is what I've seen work the best for people that are in a funk, whether they're actually depressed or they're just feeling sad or if they're having a lot of anxiety, 
whatever it is, to stop aiming to be, you know, the like cover girl for happiness when you're depressed, aim to be like the cover girl for depression and just be like a two, you know, and then move from there because <laughs> you can change. It's just really hard to make dramatic changes quickly. And we are a nation that is addicted to quick fixes, aren't we? We definitely so are. It is, it is refreshing to really contemplate the real approach, an approach to change that is more realistic. What are some yeah. tools that you can suggest? I mean, I think it really depends on, like, what you're trying to change, you know. Um, It depends, like, if are you trying to be happier? Are you trying to get goals? Um, Altogether, I really, I mean, I I feel like I've just said this a billion times in this interview, but meditation, I feel like no matter what you're trying to achieve is, I think, a fundamental step. Like, having good nutrition, meditating, and moving your body, um, there are a lot. Of, I, there are other things that we even recommend in the book, but I still feel like those three things are the mm-hmm. fundamentals mm-hmm. to really making sure that you can create kind of any change you want to change. And you know, I think that we are we're addicted to quick fixes. We want to take a pill to make things better. We want to believe that like it's like the three simple steps to being like ultimately happy for the rest of your life. And you're like, yeah, but. That's not really true. It just it isn't true, and it's definitely not sustainable. So, instead, creating sustainable habits in your life that you can always come back to, even if you fall off for a day or a month, that you know what they are and you come back to them, and you're like, oh yes, these things, these are the things that make the biggest difference in my life. When I have a meditation practice, when I'm moving my body, when I'm eating healthy food, you know. Those are the things I think that help ignite a like a clarity in us that then lets us see what other things what other things we can bring on board, you know, getting enough mm-hmm. sleep and having you know community. These things are all really important, um, but I think that we're able to see those more clearly when we have real real fundamentals in place. It reminds me that you say that um, doing what you say you're going to do can be a life-changing habit. It kind of reminds me of of the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Why do you think this makes such a difference? Yeah, this is the thing that people ask me, like, what is the number one thing you wish everyone knew? And I feel like this is the number one thing. I wish everyone knew what a huge difference it makes in your life if you just do what you say you're going to do. And it is the... It's the crux of learning how to trust yourself, and trusting yourself is the most empowering thing because then it makes everything else so much easier, right? So if you trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do, this isn't just to other doing what you say you'll do for other people, but what you say you'll do for yourself, then, mm-hmm. you, know, then you can create a meditation practice. Because you will say that you're going to do it and you'll do it. Or you'll, Mm -hmm. you know, do the exercise because you'll do what you say you're going to do. It makes such a huge difference. Absolutely. Brianna, you 
have a wonderful section in the book about how to find your life's purpose. What's the importance of finding your life's purpose, defining it for yourself? How does that energize your path through life? Yeah, if you, I feel like everyone I know that knows their life purpose, there's a different kind of passion and sustainability behind their actions because you were able to see, you know, where we're going from a different perspective. So it isn't just about, you know, this little project or it isn't even necessarily about this business or this job or career. It's about what is behind that, what is fueling that, um, that action. So it informs our actions, it informs our decisions, and it really makes it a lot easier to know what to do when you have a big decision on your plate. And so I think a lot of times we want to think that like people that know their life purpose, it like came to them in a dream, or maybe they like saw a shaman or, you know, I don't know. It was in the tarot cards, (laughs) some sort of like mystical experience that gave people their life purpose. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen that way. I'm sure it does. But for the majority of people, your life purpose is a choice. So it's about going in and seeing, you know, there are two ways really, and we describe them both in the book, but the first one is a really structured approach. So it's, you know, who do you want to make a difference for? And like, who are you passionate about serving? It could be animals. It could be, you know, the planet itself. It could be elderly people or children or teenagers, anything. So who are you passionate about serving? Then what Mm -hmm. do you want to do all day long? Like, how are you passionate about serving them? What could you do if you never got paid and you just could feel like you wanted to do that your whole life? So that could be, you know, teaching. It could be guiding people. It could be, you know, writing. It could be a lot of different things. But it's you taking that, what you are passionate about doing, and using it in service that really helps create our life purpose because our purpose in life, we're all so interlinked. I mean, when you look at the really far back perspective, we're all just one. And so, of course, our purpose has to be interconnected with other beings on this earth. Otherwise, we would be in a bubble, and that's not really how it works. Um, And so figuring out your life purpose from that perspective helps you really inform you of what you will do next to you and also could even inform you of the energy that you bring to what you're already doing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll change any outwardly looking things. It could just be the way that you're approaching it from the inside. And so we encourage people to do the structured approach and then try it on. And, you know, your life purpose can change. You can evolve it over time. And you just try it on for a while, you know, like a new pair of pants. You take some steps in it. You see if they fit or not. Um, And then you change if you need to. Um, And then the other way of getting to your life purpose is what we call the space approach. And the space approach is really about doing a meditation which is in our book and also we have a guided meditation of it on the website for the book um, which just kind of gets you in connection with the universal oneness that is everything and then from there you write and you just write and write and write about what your life purpose is and usually the first 
I don't know, 20 minutes or more for most people is just like getting the gunk out. It's like just getting like the like other things <laughs> on your mind. Like it'll, you'll be like eggs. You're like, why did I write that? Probably because you, you like need to buy eggs. So you just like free write and get the gunk out <laughs> and just keep writing. And people get frustrated and you're like, yeah, write about being frustrated then. Like just don't stop writing and it will come out and you just have to keep coming back to the question, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And you just write and write and write. And usually in one session, and sometimes it takes more than one session, sometimes it takes two or three, you get to a place where there's something that you wrote that brings you almost to tears, if not completely to tears, depending on whether or not you're easily, you easily cry, which I do. So, you know, you feel <laughs> that sensation of emotion where you're like, oh, that's it. And then you tweak from there. You're like, that's it. And then from there, you start shaping it more and more until it feels like, yes, this is the thing. And then you try it on, and maybe you tweak a word or two, and maybe over years, it evolves a little bit. I mean, for me, my I chose my life purpose when I was 20, and now it has changed. And if I told you what it was at 20 and what it is now, you on the outside would probably be like, those are really similar. <laughs> Because they are really similar. But it's just I've refined my wording. I've decided I wanted things to be a little bit different, a little bit more open. And so it evolves over time. So it doesn't have to stay constant. But I think when we stay in relationship with our purpose, so it's not just like something you visited once and then another time in like 10 years where it can then feel like the shift might be dramatic and you haven't really been in connection with it. But if instead we're really in connection with our purpose, like on a pretty regular basis, a day, every day, every week, every month at least, like no, remembering what your purpose is, why you're doing what you're doing, it can really inform your life. And then it becomes a really organic relationship where it changes and molds and grows, but it's because it's happening from being related to it, not because you haven't even thought about it in 10 years. Well, I think we've just scratched the surface of the real inspiration and tools that are in um, Brianna's book, The Well Life. Um, but I wanted to leave a little bit of space to talk about the other things you're doing, Brianna, uh, like your online community. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we, a couple of years ago, two years ago almost, um, we created a book called The Dream Book and Planner, and it is a tool for kind of mapping out what you really want from a really heart-centered, soulful place, and then using that to then set goals and break them down and get them into your calendar. So we've sold many thousands of these books, and we started an online community for the people that you know, use that tool. And also a lot of the people that read The Well Life, a lot of them are the same people. Um, and mm -hmm. so we have an online Facebook group with almost 8,000 people in it now that is super supportive and really wonderful place where people explore these ideas. They explore their life purpose. You know, they come because they're stuck. They're like, I don't know what my purpose is. And it's so supportive. It's 
ridiculous. Peter and I talk all the time about how honored we feel to be part of the group, really. And we we pop in sometimes to like answer questions, and we're like, oh my gosh, the other people in this group have already given so much wisdom on this. Like we don't even necessarily need to share anything because there's so much wisdom and love already there. Um, so yeah, we just feel really grateful to be part of it. And how do people find out about that? Uh, can can so, anyone join it? Yeah, anyone can join it. We um, we encourage people to be using the Dream Book if they're because otherwise they might feel like they don't know what anyone is talking about in the group. <laughs> um, but if people mm-hmm. go to um, dreambook.vision, they can learn all about the Dream Book and about how to get part, to be part of the community. Great. And now let's talk about your spa chain. I know that it uh, you have two outlets here in Portland and one in Colorado. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is where we very first started. Um, we have two spas in Portland. We The first one we started was in Portland. Um, and then we moved to Boulder and decided to open a spa here as well. And it's a holistic day spa. We do massages and facials, and we also do acupuncture, and we have a area where you can come do foot baths and foot massages with your friends or on a date. Um, And so we really, uh, it's it's been such a special place for us to create a real welcoming community feeling place where people can go to experience real healing um, and relaxation. So I feel really blessed to have an amazing team there. We have the best massage therapists. Um, and it just feels really, it feels real like a, such a nice offering to have in our communities. Um, I take it somebody else does your marketing because you didn't mention the name. It's called The Dragon Tree. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you. You're welcome, and it's thedragontree.com. What I found interesting when I went to the site was that uh, Peter, who is a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, um, I assume is the energy behind your um, products. Tell us about that quickly in the next minute or two. Yeah, so Peter is um, amazing. He's also my husband. We wrote this book together, and he's fantastic. He (laughs) helped, well, we together created a whole line of products. We have bath and body products that are all um, scented with pure essential oils. There's no artificial anything in them. They have really amazing ingredients. Um, And then he created also a pain relief line. So it's all external, natural, herbal pain relief for people. And then we also have an herbal tincture line, which he created. It's all Chinese medicine-based formulas for really condition-specific things. So, you know, it could be like headaches, sleep tinctures, energy tinctures, and they're all really well formulated. They don't have any extra bad ingredients in them, and we make them all of our stuff by hand in Portland. Um, And you can find out all about that on our website, too, at thedragontree.com. We have products in new seasons in Portland and a lot of other places all around the country as well as in our spas. And they do this all while still maintaining their space and their sweetness and their structure in life. Bravo, Brianna. I think you and Peter are real inspirations. Thank Thank you you so so much much. for being with us today. (laughs) 
I appreciate it. it We've so been fun. speaking. <laughs> We've been speaking with Brianna Borton about her book, The Well Life. Go to thedragontree.com and find out more about it. Thank you for being with us today, and I hope you'll join us next week. I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Many blessings. Goodbye. Goodbye.